You're listening to Season 6 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast with your host, Kate Donovan. Fried exists to hashtag end burnout culture, to help listeners release any shame, blame, guilt, or judgment that you have about burning out, and to create spontaneous moments of healing through recognition of shared humanity with other people who have experienced burnout and lived to tell the tale. Fried and its associated Facebook group are free resources provided for you from our hearts. Our paid work includes keynote speaking and one-on-one coaching. You can find information about that at katedonovan.com. And now, here is this week's Healing Packed episode. Hey, Fried fam, and happy holidays. This week, instead of a Fried the Burnout podcast episode, I am introducing you to a new podcast that I love that you might just want to use today. I'm going to share with you my friend Carolyn Cohen's podcast, which is titled Wellness While Walking. It encourages people to take the next step on their health journeys. Having worked with clients over the past decade as a health coach, Carolyn brings the message that even the smallest steps can have a tremendous impact on our health and well-being, and they can even be fun. You know I love that. In addition to busting myths about food, movement, sleep, and more, Carolyn fosters a positive psychology mindset to help us design a life of vibrant health and no regrets. Oh, and in each episode, she plays a beep halfway through, so if you're walking while you listen, you know when to turn around and go back. She'd love to walk alongside you, and this episode that I'm sharing with you is about stress and what good stress is in your body. So we're going to flip the script a little bit during this holiday season and say, a little bit of stress can be good for you sometimes, you know? Go ahead out for a walk, make sure you're bundled up if you're in the cold, Head out for a walk, and when it beeps, turn around, and you can let me know what you think about this episode in our Facebook group. All right. See ya. Enjoy. Sometimes we need to stress our systems for growth. And I'm not just talking about stress as we think of it. I'm talking about things like when we eat, what we eat, how we move, and other daily activities in our day. So tweaking them might give us more energy, improved health, and even could help slow aging. Believe me, you'll want to hear this and then stay at the end for some shout outs and more. Welcome to the Wellness While Walking podcast. I'm your walking guide and health coach, Carolyn Cohen. Whether you've been walking or otherwise moving regularly, or it's fallen off your schedule, I'll be here to help you make your own wellness a priority. We'll plan for about a 30-minute walk each week, and while you're ambling, I'll be rambling in your ear. Mm -hmm. We will talk about walking a bit, but also about wellness in the largest sense of the word, so that we can continue on a journey of a beautiful life of no regrets. Let's chat, learn, laugh, and move in the most natural way possible, and then get back to designing and living the best, most rewarding lives we each ever imagined. Hi, welcome to episode 142. Thanks for being here with me today. Before we continue, a reminder that I'm not a doctor or a mental health professional, and the content presented here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please make sure you check with your doctor before making any health or lifestyle changes. 
My kids are very fortunate. They've grown up with an excellent education, a really comfortable place to live in a town that has a lot of resources and little crime. And they have loving and dedicated parents and extended family. I've loved reading about parenting and reminding myself of developmental psychology that I studied in college as they grew up. And I started to see a fair amount of really startling research on how these kids, kids like mine who grew up in affluent neighborhoods and had the kind of lifestyle that my kids did, how, how they weren't faring very well. It seems that psychologists were noticing how many mental health issues a lot of these kids had, including higher rates of anxiety, depression, they had low self-esteem, they were into cheating and small crimes, and a lot of substance abuse, and so on. And there were a bunch of hypotheses about why this was happening. So one that resonated with me was talked about these kids having a lack of adversity. The biggest voice behind this idea was Paul Tuff, a respected and published researcher. And his explanation is that there's a sweet spot for adversity. Many kids have awful, terrible childhoods with way too much adversity. We've spoken before about the ACE score, which can be calculated and Higher scores frequently lead to difficulties in life and potentially very deep-seated trauma, and ACE being adverse childhood experiences. I'll link to some resources in the show notes about that. So given that a lot of adversity can be so damaging, it might be logical to assume that the least adversity, the better. I probably tipped my hand a little bit, but guess what? I mean, just because one extreme is awful doesn't mean that the ideal is the other extreme. We've spoken about sweet spots before, like a sweet spot in sleep uh, and in movement, etc. And here's another example. There's an adversity gap, Paul Tuff says. Some kids have too much adversity and some not enough. I have to say that this rang true to me, that my kids who were seemingly doing okay, but I wanted it to stay that way. But like, I knew that they hadn't had a lot of adversity. And same thing with a lot of their friends. I mean, my kids had had to move states, some at sort of a difficult age to do that, but that was probably the most challenging thing they'd faced. I started to look for ways where they could be challenged, and honestly, many of the options for that were some rigorous programs they could attend, like non-academic ones, such as outdoor programs, or most of them took a semester in high school in a different and challenging situation where they did have to do hard things. I'm not saying this is the only way to introduce some challenge into our kids' lives, but it's what worked for us. The craziness of this situation is not lost on me that we have to actually search out and pay for challenge and a bit of adversity. I mean, it's nuts, but I think our efforts served us well. And I appreciated knowing the research that kids like mine weren't being challenged in certain ways. And this was affecting their success with success, meaning like being able to deal with the inevitable challenges of life with resilience and grit. I know that some of what they faced, they can draw on now when the going does get tough. The fact that adversity can be good is also a concept that rings true within health. And I do think that this is being understood to be true more and more. One of the common illustrations of the benefits of adversity or challenge in the health sphere is that of building strength. So many of us know that when we lift heavy things like weights, we make small tears in the muscle fibers in the body, 
And when they heal, they build back actually better than before. In this case, that means stronger than before. Well, there are a few other places where we can find this dynamic playing out, and it's all been under a great deal of scrutiny of late and with many research dollars being spent to try to build our longevity. It's not necessarily government dollars. It's more like pet projects of Silicon Valley and some people in academia. And it's all good, though I tend to not get too uh, bent out of shape about the biohacks they're looking to discover. And let's face it, also make money off of. I prefer, and this won't probably surprise you, I mean, I like the little tweaks that we can do kind of at home without a huge disruption to our regular routine or eating too much into our savings. So the free ones that won't ask us to go changing up our lives completely to take advantage of first, let's say that. So I thought I'd cover a few today. And the idea behind this is called hormesis, H-O-R-M-E-S-I-S. And these are those intermittent stresses of a certain strength and duration to our system and can be beneficial. Of course, it's always true that whether there are positives or negatives that come out of hormesis, these stresses, it's really dose dependent. So uh, of note, one of the key aspects of managing these stressors intentionally is managing their duration. Just like chronic stress being bad for us because it goes on too long, these hormetic stressors also won't be beneficial if they're too intense for too long a period of time. So for example, using the example that we just talked about, too much stress to a muscle without time to recuperate can cause irreparable or hard to repair damage, like something called rhabdomyolysis, which is uh, people use the term rhabdo for short. I'll link to that in the show notes. But essentially, it's when there is an assault to muscles that cause the fibers to die. This breakdown of muscle causes a big problems for the kidneys and other systems within the body, and it can be life-threatening. So that's on one extreme. And then never stressing the muscle is on the other end of the spectrum. So staying there would keep us safe from getting extreme exercise-induced rhabdo or other things. But over time, we'd lose muscle mass. And we know, speaking of longevity, that living long and well is linked to sustaining muscle mass over the decades. So therefore, there's a sweet spot, or probably bigger than a sweet spot, maybe a sweet range of adversity or challenge to the muscle that is ideal, and that would include some wear and tear in the form of some weightlifting or other strengthening activity that allows the muscle to build back just a little bit better and stronger. For all of these stressors that we're going to talk about, it's really important to figure out what works for us. And I'd recommend, as always, that we run this all by our doctor or main medical practitioner before we change things up. It might very well be worth it. I mean, some of the benefits are so key, uh, like overall better health, increased longevity, as I said, and becoming more resilient to future stressors. Okay, let's look for some other areas where hormesis is being studied or has been uh, known to be useful. Temperature is one of the common arenas where people try to invoke hormesis. You may have heard of ice baths, and many people follow a man called Wim Hof, who's brought the idea of using ice baths for improved health kind of to the mass public. His work stems from research that's largely been ignored because it's so hard to fathom that it could be correct. To sum it up very briefly, a toxicologist in the late 19th century found that while a poison at a certain level could kill cells, in this case, they were testing yeast at a particular lower but not too low level, it could increase their 
growth of yeast. So once again, a matter of dose. So the same thing is true of cold exposure. Too much, particularly if one isn't adapted to the cold yet, can absolutely kill by hypothermia or shock. So this isn't something to be taken lightly. I'll link to some material uh, if this is something of interest to you, something that you might want to explore, and some measures to make sure that we're doing it properly and carefully. So I guess the question is, why are people doing this, immersing themselves in ice-cold baths? And there are many forms of cold exposure, like the immersion in an ice bath, for example, but also going into something called a cryotherapy tank and taking cold showers also can work. And cryotherapy is something that one would go to at sort of a wellness center. It's a tank that allows the person to get you get into it, sometimes including the head, sometimes not without the head, often or always with certain parts of the body covered for safety for like two to three minutes because it's so cold in there, like minus 200 or 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Really, really cold. <laughs> so this hasn't been approved by the FDA as a medical treatment, but some of the benefits purported to come uh, with cold exposure include reduction of inflammation, of pain, of some mental health symptoms, of migraines and asthma, and, and lots more. Some also pursue uh, cold therapy to reactivate brown fat and Brown fat is probably something that we don't have a lot of time to delve into today, but quickly we have white fat, we have brown fat, and brown fat is considered preferred because it improves our metabolism. So I'll link to an article in case you want to know more before we talk about it another time. Anyway, so cold therapy, whether pursued by immersion, ice bath, or cryotherapy, or cold showers, it's been linked to some benefits in research and and others are self-reported. Obviously, cold exposure can go horribly wrong. I've actually never read an article about hormesis without the author using the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that's a definite, you know, catchphrase, but you have to really take it to heart too. Like, we don't want to get close to that point where we're close to being killed. So it is something that we absolutely need to take into account and make sure we're doing things as safely as possible. And that would involve speaking to our physicians. So we absolutely need to make sure we have zero conditions that could be affected adversely by any hormetic activity and maybe especially cold exposure. We can't risk death when we're looking to improve our health. I can tell you that, you know, what I do, since I know I don't have a heart condition or any of the other risk factors associated with stressing my body, I sometimes finish my shower with a 30-second Blitz of cold water. Though for years I was really told to do this by my hairstylist to close the shaft on my hair, make for shinier hair. That wasn't really compelling enough to me to do that. What was compelling though was some of the emerging research on the power of becoming cold adapted. And I'm not ready to go full tilt on this as I have other lower hanging fruit yet to harvest, like having a few or, you know, having, like I talked about last week, like having fewer inactive days, for example, that's something I really do want to prioritize going to a a wellness center for cold tank, like mm, not yet, but having a little chilly ending to my shower is absolutely doable for me. And I do feel energized when I get out. I'll link to one article about the research on cold showers. It does seem from that research that 30 seconds of cold immersion was as beneficial as 90 seconds as it related to the benefits in the immune system with those taking cold showers of 30 seconds at least, I guess, um, getting sick 30% less than those who didn't use any cold water in the shower. So 
30 seconds is as much as I, as I do. And it's not easy. Another option, uh, baby step to this is washing one's face only in cold water. So if we're healthy and can get the green light from our dock, that's a nice on-ramp. And I'll link to some resources on cold exposure and Wim Hof and some other goodies uh, so you can read up if you're interested. Before we leave the topic of temperature as being a hormetic stressor, we can also touch on hot temperatures, saunas, hot baths, taking a hot yoga class. Those are all options for exposing ourselves to heat if we're healthy. Sauna use has been associated with reduced all-cause mortality risk. As with Cold exposure, heat exposure might bolster the immune system and extend longevity as well. And some people like to alternate between, I kind of call it stacking hot and cold therapies. Again, there are risks that we absolutely need to check out for ourselves. And I believe we'll be learning a lot more about using temperature stressors in our lives to improve our health in the near future. That beep indicates we're about halfway through the episode, so if you're not walking a loop, you might want to turn around and head back now. Moving on to another area where we might experience some benefit from stressing the system is when we eat, and particularly intermittent fasting. Essentially, when we deprive ourselves of nutrients for a period of time, that's a stressor. It causes us to undergo something called autophagy, which we discovered a while back with Marty Kendall, a link to those episodes. And we were talking then about not eating all the time and trying to find that uh, state of not eating for long enough that we undergo autophagy. And that's when our cells kind of go through a self-cleaning process, which might lead to better cellular health and, again, potentially longevity. We don't have to undergo a long fast necessarily to reap some of the benefits of fasting. The current thinking is that extending the time between our last food intake at night and our breakfast or breaking of the fast the next day to say like 12 hours can be enough to benefit. And then in addition to the when of eating, there's also the what. In this case, there's some research to show that the chemicals that are caused by stress to the plants activate the same protective benefits in us. In fact, some of those protections are the same as those realized by intermittent fasting, which is really awesome because we don't necessarily have to restrict intake for our body to think momentarily there's a famine coming. If we consume a diet that's very strong in vegetables, fruits, and mushrooms, we can use some of the plant's stress to our own benefit. Many plants make substances in reaction to stress that protect them, and the more they have to fight against their environment to survive, the more of these substances they'll produce. And so how great is that, that we can eat some of these plants and benefit from their stress so we don't have to bear the stress ourselves? Some of the elements they produce include polyphenols, which we've discussed before, starting way back with Dr. Elizabeth Boham. Again, I'll provide clickable links to those episodes in the show notes. And she talked a lot about resveratrol, curcumin, and ECGC. And these are substances that the plants make to help them survive. Resveratrol can be found in blueberries, dark chocolate, and wine, as well as in supplement form. Curcumin is an element that's in turmeric, which is a root that's often ground into a spice. I've personally found it hard to get an effective dose of curcumin via turmeric. Some people try to use it in large amounts along with um, black pepper, which helps make that uh, substance more bioavailable to us and we can digest it better. And so people try to use 
big amounts of turmeric, like in teas and curries and uh, a drink called golden milk. But I, A, don't find that I do this daily. And B, <laughs> my dentist asked if I was using a lot of turmeric and told me that it was affecting my teeth. And if you've seen turmeric, you may guess how. It's bright yellow. And guess what? My, it was making my teeth yellow. So yeah, no thank you. I'm really happy to get my curcumin from a supplement, but you should consult your physician before taking anything new. An aside, many quality turmeric supplements will have that black pepper thrown right in for convenience, because like I said, it does make the nutrient more bioavailable to the body. And lastly, Dr. Boham talked to us about ECGC, which sounds like a nightclub from the 80s, but it's not. It's an antioxidant found in green tea. It's also found in some fruits and nuts in smaller amounts, but most people who are serious about increasing their ECGC dose will drink green tea or perhaps its concentrated form, even uh, matcha, or they'll take supplements. But those can be associated with side effects. So again, together, <laughs> all together now, check with your doctor first. Increasing the deeply colored fruits and vegetables that are available to us can go a really long way in getting a lot of these protective substances from the plants who had to fight for their lives. And also, relatedly, it's important to also try to find some wild foods or get them whenever we can. Sometimes this is not very easy in this day and age, but if you can safely pick raspberries that grow in the wild or those little onions that look almost like grass, or uh, if you can find wild blueberries in the freezer section of your supermarket, definitely go for it because you'll be benefiting from plants that weren't being tended and nurtured and really had to fight off all the predators on their own. So what didn't kill them made them stronger and they can make us stronger. And that's a backdoor way of getting some of the benefits of hormesis. It just happens to be that we're using the plant's hormesis and not our own. So thank you uh, to you strong plants. <laughs> One more point here, while um, wild might be best, and organic is then you would say better, you know, and a good, better, best, any conventional produce is good. I guess organic is better while it might be considered best in this way. Organic plants do have to fight it out against pests more so than conventional plants that are treated with a lot of pesticides and herbicides. So like I said, the organic plants are stressed a little more and thus they're stronger than those conventionally raised uh, plants and plant foods. So yes, stay say yes. <laughs> Just say yes to strong plants. So the first health example of beneficial stress that we talked about a little while back was the illustration of muscles being stressed and emerging stronger after rebuilding. There are other ways to benefit from stress in terms of exercise or movement. Um, in this case, I would call this probably exercise. And that would be high intensity interval training or HIT, as it's been touted. And it does provide some hormetic benefits because it's basically short periods of intensive exercise that's often strenuous enough to become anaerobic. And anaerobic literally means without oxygen. So anaerobic exercise is when we're exercising without sufficient oxygen for a period of time and we draw our energy from our muscles. Again, we need to be certain that we're healthy enough to do these high intensity workouts. And if we are for a short period of time, we can stimulate mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of our cells. Biology 1 reminds me of that. And we need to be able to recover between these bursts of anaerobic exercise. And then we also need to engage in more restorative kinds of movements like 
yoga or slower walking. There are other ways that people are manipulating their experiences to try to bring on hormetic stress to improve health, well-being, and longevity. Some of them seem riskier to me and not well borne out in the research, and others are expensive and time and energy consuming, so I won't mention them here yet. But very good news, stressing ourselves in one way likely has benefits across all our systems, so we can find the one thing that works for us and our health situation and our lifestyle, and then it can often have systemic benefits. As one doctor who's an expert on hormesis, um, Dr. Robert Roundtree, as he said, some of the same systems are turned on whether you're taking a cold plunge or eating broccoli sprouts. Oh, and the reason he mentioned broccoli sprouts is that they contain sulforaphane, which is a potential hormetic substance. But as with all these actions, <laughs> sulforaphane can also have detrimental effects under certain circumstances. So again, the benefits are really dose dependent. So again, why we would do these things is to enhance our overall health, to slow aging, and to make us more resilient to future stressors. And some experts believe we can't have optimal health without them, so they're definitely worth mentioning here. Dr. Alyssa Appel, who we did talk about when we discussed telomeres in the past, again, I'll link to the episode, and those are the little tips of our DNA, and looking at them and their robustness, is it's helpful to predict health and health span, some research has said. And she says about hormesis, biologically, the lack of acute stressors prevents the intermittent episodes of cellular, quote, house cleaning, unquote, activities that slow aging. So we just have to keep in mind that taken to either extreme, the stressor is problematic. And so we need to be careful if we pursue any of these hormetic activities. Uh, Dr. Appel's work is interesting, and I think we're seeing some of those ideas represented in mental health as well. And she kind of spans between biological and mental health. It's very interesting. But like we talked about at the beginning with our kids needing some adversity to thrive. And we've talked about coming out of our comfort zones and experiencing discomfort to grow and to feel a sense of achievement and to develop resilience towards the other life events that will be stressors that will eventually come our way. So we've talked about the benefits of some kinds of emotional stress that without any stress, we'd stagnate. And I'd like to cover soon, and I'll give you a little sneak peek here. There's some research that's showing that the same is true for anxiety. So not just, you know, some stress can be very beneficial. Same thing with anxiety. Of course, a life with too much anxiety obviously isn't an optimal one, as extreme constant anxiety can absolutely be paralyzing and debilitating. But similarly, as we've been discussing here, life without any anxiety also isn't ideal, as anxiety does serve a purpose. What I've always wanted to share here on the show is the question of nuance. Just because a bit of something might be beneficial doesn't mean a whole lot's better. And similarly, just because something is poison or detrimental in the extreme doesn't mean that the other extreme, you know, where there's none of this, is optimal either. There's nuance. There's dose to be considered. And sometimes that's not what we get from the headlines. So that's why this podcast isn't five minutes, <laughs> right? I don't do five-minute episodes currently. And if I ever do start to do them, they'll be in addition to these longer ones. Because it takes a while to sort through all this nuance. And in our society, sometimes that doesn't happen because we're strapped for time and we have a lot of competing interests or overwhelming number of inputs. 
and our ability to focus has also been reduced over time and so on. So I want to thank you for sticking around to the end of these episodes to see the whole picture because it is a matter of nuance and it's hard to, you know, just take from a headline like cold showers, they benefit the body. And then you're like, okay, what, how, why, what do I have to worry about? It's not answered there. So, you know, it's, it's good that we can do these deep dives together. And just as a reminder today, we talked about the need for some adversity or challenge or stressors in some areas, and we covered temperature stressors, the stressors of not eating all the time, i.e. intermittent fasting, the stressors that plant foods can give us, especially if we eat the rainbow and have a lot of deep, dark colors in our produce, and the stressors of short bursts of high-intensity workouts. And we also spoke about getting approval from our doctors and then maybe picking one of these things to start, especially knowing that it might have enough benefits in and of itself to suffice for our checking off the box of hormesis in our lives. Done. Woohoo! That was a lot to process, so I'll be quick and uh, we'll get you on your merry way. One thing is that I wanted to thank a few people, first of all, for International Podcast Day. I mean, sounds like a Hallmark holiday, except I doubt there are cards for this holiday. But for this celebration of podcasting, which, you know, I really love as a consumer myself of podcasting, but I did get such a nice note from Kate. So thank you so very much for reaching out. And then I owe some people replies about other things. You probably know who you are. And thank you so much for your patience. I've been navigating the healthcare system with a loved one lately. And that's a time-consuming venture. If you've ever been there, you know that. And I will be in touch as soon as possible. And then thanks so much for OBX Susie for taking the time to review the show. It's a short review, so I'll read it now. And the headline is so cute. It says, don't walk past this podcast. Love that. And then she said, I recently started listening to this podcast and I actually make excuses to go walking by myself just to listen with a heart. Thank you, Susie. And a heart right back to you. And I do hope you get all kinds of walks in with others and then sometimes alone so we can hang out. Just one more thing. If you sometimes are always listening to the show on Spotify, do you mind reaching out to me? I'd really appreciate it. You can either email me at wellnesswhilewalking at gmail.com, or you can message me on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And wherever you listen, please make sure you're subscribed to the show or you're following the show. Depends on your app. But that way, all the episodes automatically end up on your device and you just have to press play and you don't miss a thing. I'm grateful to be here with you today. And the last favor I'll ask is for you to stay on your own priority list. If you're fitting in work and care for family and household work and all the stuff of life, it might take a little planning and forethought to do this. And I really hope you'll take that challenge and find some time for replenishing and refilling that bucket in any way that speaks to you. Thank you so much for that. And I'll see you next time. A reminder that neither I nor my podcast guests are doctors or healthcare professionals of any kind, and nothing on this podcast or associated content should be considered medical advice. The information provided by Wellness While Walking, Whole Life Workshop, and Bermuda Road Wellness LLC is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider 
with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking any new healthcare regimen, including walking.